Hello, this is David Sangster, lead pastor at New Life Church. Thank you for joining us today for our podcast. It's our goal to help you grow in your faith and discover all that God has for you. I hope you're encouraged, challenged, and inspired. Enjoy the message. Somebody asked me the other day, what do you think about this? And I said, you don't want to know what I think about this. You should not care what I think about this. You want to know what God thinks about this. And I will do my best to unpack that for you. Um, But we really shouldn't be concerned about what people think about stuff. We should be concerned about what God says in his word about that stuff. How many people got stuff? You got, no one's got stuff but me? I got questions, I got stuff, I got things I'm struggling with, I got, I got issues that, you know, we all got issues, we all got stuff. We don't care what people think about the stuff. We want to know what God says about our lives. So we're going to talk about that today, because that's the only reason to preach, is to find out what God says. Okay, today we're in week three of our series, The Summer on the Mount. We're spending the entire rest of the summer studying through the Sermon on the Mount. So you'll find your key verse today in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And uh, we're going to be in verse 17 through 20 today. Okay, 5, 17 through 20. And uh, the, the big idea for this message is Jesus calls us to adhere to scriptural truth of the law. We read, we read, Jesus calls us to adhere to the scriptural truth of the law, yet he went the extra mile to save us from the condemnation that the law brings. Now, I'm going to unpack that. That's a lot. So many times uh, on this side of grace, we, we tend to think that the, the law and the things that God said in the Old Testament don't apply. And I'm going to explain to you how they do and how they don't today. I'm going to do my best, okay, to unpack that for you. So let's read the scripture today. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 through 20 says this. This is the words of Jesus. Don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of the letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Verse 19, therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, well, listen to this, for I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not get into the kingdom of God. Whoa, pastor, that sounds like a works-based religious model. It does, doesn't it? Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, when he says that, he is making an amazing claim. Because the scribes and the Pharisees, they're the ones who prided, and that's the good word for it too, prided themselves 
on being adherers of the law. They would make sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that every little thing, they had laws that insulated them from breaking the laws that insulated them from breaking the law. They had these extra things that they tacked on to what God had said in the Old Testament just so that if they happened to break one of the outside laws, at least they wouldn't be guilty of breaking God's law. So they insulated themselves. So they had laws upon laws upon laws upon laws. And they did their best to keep those laws. And God's saying, unless your righteousness surpasses that of those guys, you're not even going to get in. Never mind being the least in the kingdom. You're not even going to get in. You're not going to even see it. How is that even possible? And that's where Jesus begins to unpack the shift. The shift. Okay. So let's get into it today. The first section, the, the title of this message is The Law Fulfilled. The Law Fulfilled. So let's talk about the law. Commenting on Matthew 5, 18, Leon Morris writes this. Until heaven and earth pass away, that, that's, that, that portion of Jesus' statement points to the end of created things. Until heaven and earth pass away, that points to the end of all created. Which, which means what? There is going to be an end. There is going to be, someday there's going to be an end. But until heaven and earth pass away, uh, points to the end of created things. But what God has said in Scripture is more permanent than the very stones that you walk on. The Word of God, you know why the Word of God is more permanent than creation? Because the Word of God made creation. And Jesus is the Word made flesh. So Jesus can say all that he wants to say because it's, it's truth from the beginning. Jesus says emphatically that it will con continue, uh, certainly not pass away. He's referring to the written scripture as the terms he employs show clearly. The iota was the smallest letter of the Greek alphabet. And that's the word he uses, iota. Not one iota will pass away. Okay? But here, he's usually understood to refer to the yod, not yoda, yod, in the Hebrew alphabet. Now, a yod is a little accent mark that differentiates letters that look similar in the Hebrew text. It's, a, it's like the dot of an I so that it doesn't look like an L, a lowercase l. That's what a yod is. Just not one yod, not one accent mark of my word will fade away. That's intense. That's what he's saying to them. The little stroke was probably a tiny project, uh, projection on a, a small letter. It forms, uh, it forms a very emphatic assertion of the permanent validity of Scripture. None of it will pass away, Jesus says, until all takes place. The divine purpose in Scripture will be fulfilled and worked out. It's going to happen, every yod of it. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, Every Scripture is inspired by God and is useful for, useful for teaching, for showing mistakes. I like that. 
Sometimes when we see something in the Bible that we don't like, we go, that can't be right. No, it's there to show that you're wrong. <laughs> it can show you that you have made a mistake in your thinking. That's okay, isn't it? It doesn't, hurt. It doesn't feel good, but it's for mistakes, for correcting, for training in character so that the person who belongs to God can be equipped to do everything that is good. I love what God told Joshua in Joshua 1.8. He says this, this book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you will be carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will be prosper, uh, then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. Wow, that sounds better. I like that. What does that mean? I want to just break that down for a second. What does that mean? When you use the washing machine to wash clothes, it succeeds in whatever it does. Correct? If you do proper maintenance and you don't, so if you use your washing machine to mix cement, you see, see the difference? When we live in accordance to the guidebook that God gave us, we are going to prosper in what we do because it, it's, it's in line with his, the way we were designed. When we start using it for the things that we're not supposed to do, yeah, we're going to have problems. Try to put a load of laundry into your washing machine after you've mixed cement in it. I didn't do that, so that's not a first person. That's just an analogy. He said this, nine, haven't I commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. When we do this, we can live a life of strength and courage. We can walk out into the world without fear because we know he's with us, because we are doing and living our lives in accordance with the purpose and the plan and the design in which we were created. Okay, so then it's just like, Pastor, this, this still sounds a lot like a work, works-based system of religion, doesn't it? Yeah, it does, doesn't it? It does. If I do the right things and I don't do the wrong things, and man, everything's going to go well for me. And that it makes it sound like if you, if you want to get to heaven, man, you got your, your righteousness must exceed that of, the, of the, the scribes and the Pharisees. That sounds like, all right, here we go. So the, the title was what? The Law fulfilled. So we talked a little bit about the law. Now, what, what is, let me just explain what the law is. The law and the prophets, when Jesus says this, what he's talking about is the scripture that he had, the Old Testament. When Jesus refers to law and the prophets, he's talking about the Old Testament scripture because there was no New Testament scripture because that's what's being written. He's, he is in the New Testament, okay? So that's what he's talking about. Anything that God talked about in the law. Now, in the law, there is a differentiation between two different types of law. Um, there's the moral law, okay? And then there is a, um, a Jewish identification portions of law, all right? So what would happen in the Old Testament is that in order to rede be redeemed under the law, you actually had to become a Jewish person. 
in, identify with the Jewish people and also keep the moral law. But there's two different things. And in the New Testament, we see how the councils of the apostles says, well, this is the moral law, and this is the identification with the Jewish culture, such as circumcision, uh, food, uh, food restrictions, and things like that. Okay? But the New Testament apostles never got a, did away with the moral law, ever. Okay? So Jesus is saying, the law is, will remain. And we need to be people who, who abide by the law. Now, here's the cool thing. Because the title is The Law Fulfilled. So let's get into that. Matthew 5, 7 through 20 raises an important question about how we should understand the Old Testament. Craig Blomberg explains how we should understand Jesus' message. Every Old Testament text must be viewed in light of Jesus' person and ministry and the changes introduced by the new covenant he inaugurated. Jesus sees himself as the fulfillment of the Old Testament law, the law and the prophets. This means that he did not come to get rid of the moral, status, uh, um, the moral standards of the law. He didn't come to get rid of that, but to satisfy them. Jesus came to satisfy the moral standards of the law. Never before or since Jesus' coming has a person satisfied the law. Not even the scribes and the Pharisees that Jesus is talking about. Never. Never before or since Jesus is coming. It has always stood as an indictment of humanity. It is a requirement that is unattainable. It is a weight around our ankle dragging us to the bottom. It is the standard that condemns every person in history. So the law is perfect and beautiful. Why is it perfect and beautiful? Because it comes from God. But it is also terrible for us. Because no one can keep it. Romans 3 10 through 12 says, it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what the law is. The law is God's glory, but it's also our enemy. Because we can't, it's perfect and it's beautiful, just like God is, but it's also terrifying because we can't keep it. 1 Corinthians 15 and 56 says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Now, this is where we flip the script. But thanks be to God, he gave us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. N.T. Wright put it this way. Jesus wasn't interested in a, uh, to, uh, interested to, a, excuse me, I read that wrong. Jesus wasn't intending to abandon the law and the prophets. Israel's whole story, commands, promises, and all was going to come true in him. But now that he was here, a way was opened up for Israel. And through that, all the world. 
to make God's covenant a reality in their own selves. Changing behavior not just by teaching, but by changing the heart and the mind itself. That's what we talked about in our worship set, right? More of him, less of us. You can't. I can't adjust my behavior enough because of things that I've learned in order to be righteous. What I need is the fire of God's Holy Spirit to burn up all that garbage in me that I couldn't get rid of on myself, by myself. Does that make sense? Maybe not, but that's what, <laughs> it's, it's theology. All right? Um, this, is what, uh, this was truly revolutionary and at the same time deeply in tune with the ancient stories and promises of the Bible. How can I? I have an illustration for you. All right. I got a piece of paper here for you. Who wants a piece of paper? All right. I'll even I'll go one further. I'll sign it. Who wants an autograph? That's horrible. I've never had to do that before, so it's not trained. Who wants it? Who wants the autograph? Who wants this piece of paper? Get up here. Come on. You got to come get it. Yeah, you got to come up on the stage. Come get my autograph. What did she just do? She went, oh. Show him why. You like the autograph? It's, it's at least worth $10 now. So good. You're, you're, <laughs> thank you. No, take it. You are taking $10. It is the grace of Pastor Dave. You must accept it with, with gladness. Go. Get out of here. <laughs> All right. Here's the deal. Did I give her exactly what I told her I was going to give her? Yes. Nice try, Julie. But Yes. I gave her a piece of paper with my, ad, with my autograph on it. But, but when she, when she really studied it, when she looked at the back of it, when she started turning around, she realized she got way more. And that's what Jesus does. Jesus takes the letter of the law and he, he turns it over and he gives us far more than we ever deserved and we ever wanted and that's his grace. And here's the thing. Sometimes we, you were perfect, by the way. Sometimes we feel sheepish, like, I can't receive that. It's too much. No, we need to receive it with thanksgiving. Thank you, God, for giving me more than I deserve. Thank you, God, for giving more than I expected. Thank you, God, for not holding me to the righteous standards of the law. Thank you for taking my sin. God gave us his word, his name. He gave us his word. But in Christ's fullness of that word, we get more than we expected. Jesus claims to fulfill the law and the prophets. However, he fulfills this in ways that blow people's expectations. N.T. Wright continues in his remarks. He says, the remarkable thing is that Jesus brought it all into reality in his own person. He was the salt of the earth. He was the light of the world set up on a hilltop, crucified for all the world to see becoming a beacon of hope and a new, a new life for everybody, drawing people to worship his Father, embodying the way of self-giving love, which is the deepest fulfillment of the law 
and the prophets. When Jesus would ask, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? What they're asking is, what is the greatest part of the law and the prophets? And I have to believe, I have to believe that Jesus didn't go, hmm, it's a good question. I'm going to need a couple minutes on that one. Why would he? It's him. It's him. Remember, he is the word made flesh. I, I believe he's not. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Any more questions? I believe he knew it. Boom, boom, boom. Because the law, every bit of the law and the prophets hangs on those two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. When I was teaching, we had this, the first day of school, and I've taught at a private Christian school. Um, the first day of school, we all dreaded it. The students and the teachers alike. You know why? Because that was handbook day. How many people love a good handbook? Nobody loves a good handbook. Handbooks stink. The fact, the fact of the matter is, it was late. And I'm because I went to the school before I taught there, and I remember the times when the handbook was smaller. Do you know I don't know what handbooks are for? They're for that dumb kid who breaks all the rules that didn't even know there was a rule, so now I have to write it down. That was me. So the handbook, handbooks always get bigger than ever. How many times has a handbook you've seen gotten smaller? You know what? Let's throw it out. That doesn't happen. But the truth of the matter is, if we could. If we could, the reason we have handbooks is because we can't. But if we could love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves, you could throw the handbook out. But we can't. So Jesus came to fulfill that law. He far exceeded our expectations because he took, thank you, my dear, he took the righteousness he far exceeded our expectation because he took the righteous judgment of our sins on himself. Now, here's the thing. I think it's very interesting. Jesus didn't diminish the righteous law. He didn't diminish it. He just took it. You see what I'm saying? It's not like he said, well, I'm Jesus, so I don't have to take the full. It's not as important to me. Like, yeah. I'm special. No, he didn't diminish it by saying it's not, that's not important. He took every part of it. He took it. He didn't diminish it. He didn't say that's, not, that's dead, that's old, that's not, that's not important. He said it is important, and I'm going to take it for you. So he didn't diminish the righteousness of the law or avoid the judgment of that law. In Christ, the fullness of the law, righteous judgment was satisfied. So he could give it to us. No one's happy about that today? Did you hear what I said? In Christ, the full righteousness of the law was satisfied so that he could hand out his righteousness to us. Amen. Isaiah 53, 6 says this. We all went astray like sheep. We, are all, we all have turned to our own way. 
So what has to happen? And the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, and like a sheep silent before his shears. That, that, that picture, that word picture evokes the sacrificial lamb. He did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of, of oppression and judgment. And who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. He was assigned a grave with the wicked. But he was with the righteous man, uh, excuse me, with the rich man in his death. Because he had done no violence. And not had spoken, not had spoken deceitfully. Now listen, this is, this is tough to read. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. When you make him a guilt offering, he will see his seed. He will prolong his days, and by his hand, the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. After his anguish, he will see light and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteousness, my righteous servants will be justified. Excuse me, will justify many. By his knowledge, my righteous servants, servants being Jesus, will justify you. will justify me. He will carry their iniquities. Jesus is setting a high standard. He says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never even get into the kingdom of heaven. He tells us that the high standards of the law is our good. The high standard of the law is good, yet for us, Sinners completely unattainable. So he went and fulfilled them for us. So he could hand out his righteousness to us. Hallelujah. This is the king of this new kingdom. The one he's talking about on the Sermon on the Mount, this new kingdom that he's ushering in, this is the king of that new kingdom. The suffering Savior. So if the king carries the burdens of his people, how ought we to live as citizens of that same kingdom? So he's not saying that the law is not good. He's actually saying it is very good. And we should be people who love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbors as ourselves. But we're going to fail, and he knows that, because we can't keep the law perfectly. The only one who could was Jesus Christ. And he took, he lived that life, and then he took our punishment so that he could hand out his righteousness to us so that our righteousness might exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees so that we might see the kingdom of God. How now ought we Should we not attempt to do as our king? Be salt and light in dark places? Sacrifice our own comfort and affluent status for the betterment of others? 
should we not take up our our cross daily and follow him? I think we should. I think, in fact, it's a small price to pay for the grace and the glory that God lavishes on us. Now, at the end of a sermon like this, you might say, that's, well, that's wonderful. How do, I, how, how do I receive or how do I tap into that righteousness? Well, the Bible says this, for as many as believed him, to them he called the children of God. Give them the power to become children of God, even to them who believe on his name. Confess with your mouth, Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. It's not hard. It's just accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Yes, I believe that you are the satisfying element to the unattainable law, and I want to apply your grace to my life. Thank you, Jesus, for being my Savior. Yes, my Savior and my King. My Lord, now, now, as I've received you and, and, and you have cleaned me up, that fire of the Holy Spirit has burned up those things. Now, I'm telling you, this is something. Jesus said, you must take up your cross daily and follow him. What does that mean? It means you got to surrender to self every day. Your salvation doesn't go away every day, but to, to live as, as, as a member of the kingdom and have Jesus as your Lord, not just your Savior, but as your Lord, it's going to have... You're going to have to do some stuff to, to allow the Holy Spirit to clean you. But his salvation is eternal. See, a lot of times we stop at the salvation part. Thank you, Jesus, for my, being my Savior. But we don't move into the fact that he is supposed to be our Savior and our Lord. What does that mean? It means he gets to tell us what to do. What? He doesn't just save us and like, yeah, do what you want. No! Why would you want that anyway? He's the author of the manual. He's why you don't put cement in the washing machine. You'll work better if you do the things he tells you to do. He is your Lord. So yes, he's our Savior, absolutely, and that's so important. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would encourage you to not waste another minute because it's not complicated. It's just, yes, Lord, I believe, I receive, thank you. Help me to live for you who died for me. That's the Lord part. That's the Lord part. Would you bow your heads with me? If you would like to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, because of what the Holy Spirit has revealed to you through this talk today, and you want that, you want to be free from the consequences of the law that you will never be able to keep. If that's you today, I'd like you to just raise your hand. Just say, that's me. That's me. And it's okay because everybody here is rooting for you. Say, that's me. I want, I want that today. How many of you would say, Pastor, I got the saved part. I think I was six years old when I got the saved part. That was me. My difficulty is the Lord part. I need more of him and less of me, and I want, I, I want to allow the Holy Spirit to just 
burn that up in me. And that's you today, and you want, you want to pray, pray over that. Just raise your hand. You know how good that makes God's heart feel? You want him to be your Lord. That makes God very, very happy. So let's pray. God, I thank you so much that you have made a way for our righteousness to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees who were those who strove so hard to be perfect. And they were unable to attain perfection. Lord, but you have given us your righteousness. Do we deserve it? Absolutely not. And that was not the point. The point is you wanted to. It pleased you to take on our punishment. Thank you, God. So, Lord, we reaffirm our faith in you. And we, we thank you. We believe in you. We receive your grace and mercy today. And, Lord, we ask you to give us your Holy Spirit power to live for you who died for us. God, help us to be able to be humble enough to submit to your instructions. Help us to let you tell us what we should do. Lord, cleanse us from the pride of humanity and give us a clean heart. This morning and every morning to follow praise you, Lord. Thank you for doing this for me today so that I can be confident of my eternity with you. Help me to live for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.